Would you all just stand to your feet? I want to declare the word of God over your life this morning. Just everyone here, and if you're watching online, whether you're in your bedroom or on a couch somewhere, would you just stand? I want to read a very short passage to you out of Matthew chapter 13, okay? And in this chapter, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, right? Who knows that's kind of important, right? But let me ask you this. If someone came up to you after church, they say, hey, I heard that you're one of those Jesus followers. Can you please explain to me the kingdom of heaven? Would you guys be ready to explain it? I don't, I heard a yes, bold comment. I love that. That's awesome. I think most of us, even me, if I'm not ready, I might give an answer something like this, like, oh yeah, the, the kingdom of heaven. Um, yeah, okay, so the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's um, well, it's not, it's, it's not, a, a, it's not an earthly kingdom. It's kind of like, um, well, in fact, it's the opposite of earthly. It's a, it's a heavenly kingdom, and, and, and God is there, and like anyone ever been in that situation, you like don't even know what to say, right? But Jesus is teaching all through Matthew chapter 13 about the kingdom of heaven, and it really culminates with this verse right here, Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Let me pray for us. God, we are just so thankful. Thank you for revealing these great mysteries in some of the simplest ways and explaining what your kingdom of heaven is really about. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in this place. I pray that you speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, and that all of us walking out of here, watching online, we would not be the same, God. We would not be the same person, man or woman, child, as we were when we walked in. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victor. And thank you for everyone joining us online and in this room. I'm very excited. Um, I love that scripture for a couple different reasons, but it really speaks to the heart, no pun intended, of what I want to talk to you guys about today. Because yes, we're going to continue talking about the power uh, of the heart. Last week, I shared with you guys about the power of the heart. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, I really encourage you um, to, because it kind of builds on this, but you can definitely hear it if you hadn't heard that message yet uh, last week. So we talked about the power of the heart, and I gave you guys three truths or three points there, and it was that your power, the heart has a power to direct the course of your life or determine the course of your life. Your heart has the power to get God's attention, and your heart gives us, a pure heart gives us a power to pray. But I want to look at it from a different perspective this morning. I want to talk about the passion of the heart, okay? And you're kind of thinking like, power of the heart, passion of the heart, is that basically the same thing? And no, I believe they are very different. I was talking to Pastor Eddie earlier this week and kind of talking it through. If I could describe it, they're like twins. Like, they look the same, yet they're completely distinct and unique. The passion or the power of the heart answers the what, okay? What does the heart have the capable, uh, what does the heart have the power of doing in your life? It has the power to determine the course of your life, okay? Proverbs 4.23. But the passion of the heart answers the question, why? Why does the heart have this power over us? And that's what I want to talk about today. All right, so the passion of the heart. Can I want to start with a simple question. Who's ever been passionate about something before? Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay, hey, married couples, you need to be raising your hands right now, okay? You should be passionate about your spouse. 
Let me ask you another question. Who has uh, ever lost passion about something before? Just like lost a passion. Maybe you, okay, quite a few hands, right? Uh, maybe you were a child and you were into toy cars, Barbies, video games, whatever, and maybe you've grown out of that, maybe you haven't, I don't know, no judgment. But let's just say you've grown out of those passions. Um, it's very easy to lose passions, right? Come on, I need you to work with me here. Is it easy to lose passion in life? Yes, it's very easy. And honestly, I want to share one of the simplest examples that I can where this is like just so evident. And I want to talk about marriage real fast, okay? So married folks, pay attention. If you're engaged, pay attention. If you're dating or have the desire to be married, this is for you too. But specifically for you married folks, you'll get this, okay? Do you guys remember what we used to do to win over our future spouse? Do you remember what you did, the passion and the energy that it took to win this person, person's heart? You guys remember that? Were you the person who bought like five million rose petals and put it on top of their car, inside their car with a little love note? Like, just thinking about you today. I love you today. Can't stop. Like, well, come on. We've all done that, right? Do you ever take a guitar even though you can't sing, can't play, and you go to a balcony and you're just like serenading the true love, right? All these things. We show a lot of passion. And I remember when Adrian and I uh, first started dating, I wanted to show her how much I love for her. So in that moment, uh, I sacrificed a lot of sleep. I sacrificed a lot of sleep for her. So we are high school sweethearts. We started dating. Uh, we've been together 11 years, but we started dating um, in my senior year in high school. So before my senior year, I worked at this farm. Give it up for farmers. Where's Jason at? Jason's back there. Jason's one of my favorite farmers. Yeah. <laughs> farmers work hard. Farmers work really hard. So I took this job and call time to be out at this farm to work was at 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., one of those times. So if I was blessed enough to get there at 6 a.m., that means I was still waking up at like 5 to get ready, get dressed, drive out to the country and work at this farm earlier. Like that was like sleeping in. And for a 17-year-old to be at work at 6 a.m., that's not sleeping in, right? And so, but I remember I'd get there and we start working, hard work, throwing hay. It was a traditional farm as well as a sod farm. So like the sod that you throw out. And there was a machine that literally tossed like 40-pound sod things to you and you would have to stack it really quick on a pallet. And that's why it looks so nice. And so I just remember super hard work, but I loved it. Really, really fun job, learned a lot. But I remember on my lunch breaks, I'd call Adrian, or Adrian would call me, and she'd be like, hey, are you, are you, it's summertime, so it's like, are you gonna come over? I, I really miss you. And I'm like, all right, I'm trying to show this girl that I like love her, right? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely be there after work today, no problem. But I'm like red as a lobster. I've been working, I'm sweating, like, you know, I'm just filthy out there. And so I work 12 hours. I get done anywhere between 5 to 6 p.m. I go home, take a quick shower, say hi to my parents, drive over there, and I might get like an hour, hour and a half with Adrian. But I go over there, why? Because I just want to hold her hand for a little bit. I just want to say how much I love her and show her how passionate I am for her. And I re even remember uh, one point, we were playing cards with her parents, and I'm just like sitting there like yawning and yawning. Finally, her parents are like, Adrian, please send this boy home. He is exhausted. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay. She's like, oh, just five more minutes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, five more minutes. Right into my brain thinking, I gotta get up at four o'clock in the morning, lady, but I hope you see how passionate I am about you, right? We are passionate about those certain things in life, right? But why, why would we sacrifice our dignity and sing a song out in public, right? Uh, why would we sacrifice our time and our money and our energy buying flowers that are literally going to be vacuumed up in a car in a few minutes, right? Why would we do that? And this is what I believe, this is the only reason why we would do that, okay? It's because we believe that what we gave up, okay, what we would give up 
doesn't even compare to what we would gain in that moment. That sacrifice means nothing to us, right? So think about it. Um, you're willing to do all those things and sacrifice all those things for someone that you love. Because of that, I just want to read this scripture to you guys again, and I want to read it with this, this new, um, newfound faith, okay? Matthew chapter 13. This is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything. Come on, say everything. everything. He sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything. Come on, say everything. Everything, everything he owned to buy it. So today I want to talk to you guys about the passion of the heart, and I have three truths for you, okay? The first truth is this. You're only willing to go all in, give all of your passion about something if you believe it's worth it. Think about it. You will not give up and sacrifice time, sleep, money, energy, or any of those things unless if you know and you really believe this person or the thing that you're sacrificing is of lesser value and lesser importance than the thing or the one that you're gaining from the sacrifice, right? And that, that, that scripture... That scripture in Matthew chapter 13 just speaks to it. So here, if I can get one thing out of you guys today, this is what I want you guys to know, okay? Three hours from now, after we've had our lunch and we're feeling a lot better, three days from now, three months from now, three years from now, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I heard you're a Jesus follower. Can you please explain to me the kingdom of heaven? I want you guys to say, be able to say with confidence, oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And once you find it, you're willing to sell and give up everything you can to find that treasure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is really all about. And that's the first truth I want to share with you guys, okay? Why would anyone, why would anyone give up time, energy, money? It's the only reason why we would ever do it is because what we, we believe we found something of greater value than the thing that we were sacrificing. That's what Jesus is talking about, and that's what I consider passion, Okay? I don't know if I coined this term or if I heard it someplace else, but I always call this uh, the whole heart mandate. The whole heart mandate. And what do I mean by that? This is what I mean by the whole heart mandate. To fully experience a life as a, a believer in Christ, a disciple of Christ, okay? it requires, it demands an all-in approach. I challenge you, I heard some amens, right? I challenge you to find me a scripture that says you can give God 90%. I challenge you to find me a scripture that says you give God most of your life, most of your heart, and you'll be all right. The fact is, we just don't see that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, we see the exact opposite. We see time and time again this very dramatic, very intense verbiage that's saying like, no, it's not about giving a little part or most of, it's about giving everything. Why would you give everything away? The only reason why we would ever do that is because we believe we found something of greater value, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Amen? All right, so it requires, it demands this all in an approach. Let's just look at Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, and it says this. To kind of frame it, someone asks Jesus, hey, what is the most important commandment? What, you know, what, 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 what would you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with half of your soul and with half of your mind. No, it's the thing. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. And personally, I think this is one of the most amazing statements that Jesus makes in the Bible, because I don't know about you guys, but have you ever just felt like overwhelmed, and you don't even know, like, what is this Christian life really about? Am I supposed to, is it about going to church? Is it about doing this? I kind of shared about this last week, how we can kind of get confused, like, what what are we supposed to do as Christians? Like, what is the most important thing? And when I read this verse, I always think of those, uh, it's like a cheat sheet, right? Do you guys remember those two by four note cards in school that uh, teachers would allow you to write, like, definitions? Do you guys remember that? You're staring at me here. Like, you guys remember that, right? And I'm just saying, if you were in a class called Christianity, Christianity 101, and you're like, hey, you get one note card, you can put anything on there, all you would have to do is put, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and I guarantee you are going to ace that exam, right? Because Jesus says, like, that's how amazing this is. Everything, everything that the, the law and the prophets say, it can really be, be boiled down to that simple, those two commands. That's a pretty incredible statement. And that's just one of the reasons why I believe God has a whole heart mandate on our lives. But honestly, Matthew 16 says it the most directly, okay? Matthew 16, 24 then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be a, my follower, okay, that's you and me, we want to be a follower, we want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You must give up our own way, take up our crosses, and follow him. That is the command of Jesus for us. Okay? It is not like, hey, when you feel like it, Christianity is not a buffet. You can't just say, ooh, I like this, don't like that. I like the chocolate, but I don't like the salmon, right? Like, you just have to say, hey, if it's here, I'm going to take it all for my life. Like, I'm going to give up my own way, my preferences, and follow God's way. And that's what, uh, that's what a godly mandate in our life looks like. But listen, this whole heart mandate has to be, has to be, has to be, listen to me, has to be fueled with spiritual passion in our life has to be fueled by spiritual passion. So today, I want to share with you guys a story that you may or may not be familiar with, and that's okay. I'm going to share it with you. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapters 14, 15, and 16. So if you want to get your Bibles on your phones, real Bibles, physical Bibles, whatever, pull it out. We're going to look at this entire story, um, uh, but we're going to have to jump around a little bit for sake of time. But it's about a man named King Asa. Anyone who knows who King Asa is? We had a few people who are like, eh, maybe, maybe it's a story you haven't heard. Great, because I'm going to get to share it with you today. But I want to set the stage real fast. So this is a time in Israel's history when Israel is split into two entities, okay? We have Judah, and then we have Israel. So you guys remember King David. We talked a little bit about him last week as well. King David, then King Solomon. After King Solomon's sons take, his son takes over the throne, there's a division. And Israel, the 11 other tribes, leave and say, hey, we don't want a descendant of King David ruling over us anymore. But Judah remains loyal to King David and his descendants. So now you have these two separate entities. You have Judah. Some of the tribe of Benjamin decide to stay with uh, the descendants of David and then Israel. And Israel has its own king, and Judah has its own king. King Asa is a descendant of King David, so he's ruling over Judah, okay? And this is what we know. This is what we know about King Asa in 2 Chronicles 14, 2 through 6. Asa did what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest 
from his enemies. And if you look at verse 8, it says, The king Asa had an army of 300,000 warriors from the tribe of Judah, armed with large shields and spears. He also had an army of 280,000 warriors from the tribe of Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. Both armies were composed of well-trained fighting men. So set the stage here, okay? Asa takes over the, uh, the kingdom of Judah, and he, it, things are looking pretty good. He has a nice-sized army, you know, things are looking really well, but he makes right off the bat, he makes some really important decisions differently than his father, okay? The first one, he smashes the sacred pillars and cuts down the Asherah poles. What are those, okay? Those are forms of idolatry and worship. So it was a place where people would literally worship these pagan foreign gods, and King Asa says, like, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. He literally cuts them down, destroys them. The second thing he does, he commands the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his law and his commands. So not only is he saying, no, we're not going to serve these foreign gods, we're only going to serve the Lord, and uh, like, we're going to do everything that he commands us to do. The third thing he does is he removes the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. Now, this is interesting, okay? So this was a very common practice. What are these incense altars talking about? Um, so I had to do a little research, but basically what happened was throughout Israel and throughout Judah, these towns would set up these places to burn incense, but funny enough, they'd actually be used to worship the Lord there. And I'm like, well, what's the problem? I mean, if they're taking the time to build a place to worship the Lord, like, why is that a problem? The problem is, that's not how God directed them to worship him. He said, you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to worship me at my temple, and you're not going to just allow anyone to burn incense. Only priests can do that. So this is, think about what King Asa is doing. He says, no, you cannot serve other gods. You have to serve the Lord your God, and you can't do it the way you want to do it. There's a specific way that God's calls you. I know it's more convenient to stay where you're at and not have to travel. Traveling was not like it was today. I'm not talking about air-conditioned donkeys, right? You're traveling long ways, right? Come on. You're not talking about that. It's hard. It's not easy. It's not convenient. And he says, but I'm not going to allow you to do that because God, that's not how God wants us to worship. We're going to worship in Jerusalem. We're going to have the priests minister to us. Come on, there's some truth there, right? Final thing we learned, because he did this, because he did those things, he went all in. He gave his whole heart. His kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. Now think about truth number one, okay? You're only willing to go all in. You're only willing to give all of your passion about something if you know it's worth it. I guarantee you, when King Asa took over, he was not thinking about the people and pleasing them. Because all, all that was, like, think about it, you know, you're getting into office and you think, like, all right, I got to serve the, these people that, you know, uh, because or otherwise they might leave and go to Israel. He's like, no, no, the best way I can serve these people is to follow the Lord my God with all my heart. And I'm going to say, okay, guys, we cannot do this. We cannot serve these uh, pagan uh, gods anymore. Hey, we can only serve the Lord our God, and we can't do it the way you want to do it. We're going to do it the way God called us to do it, okay? But because he sought the Lord with all of his heart, God gave him peace. Okay, that is just absolutely amazing. But are you ready for truth number two? The second truth about the passion in your heart is this. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Can I get an amen? Come on. Just because you're passionate about something does not mean it's going to be easier to go perfectly for your life. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. I read this to you last week. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That is not easy. That is not an easy proposition to do. Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, but if from there, say from there, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart 
and soul. Do you see this? Guys, I'm telling you, one of the other things I want you to get out of this is anytime you see the word heart in the Bible, I want you to stop, pay attention. What is this really saying? Do you guys see the common vocabulary here? If you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you'll find him. So let me ask you this simple question. Where is there for you today? But if from there, where are you battling? It could be in your marriage. You could be battling a drinking problem, a secret sin. Uh, you're lying, you're cheating, gossiping, whatever the case may be. Where is there for you? Because the promise is if from there, but if from there you seek the Lord, your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and soul. That needs to encourage someone today because I feel like we, you know, we face these battles and we face these challenges and we're just like, man, nothing I do ever seems to help. I'm telling you, this is the remedy to it. Seek him with all of your heart and he will be found. Psalm 73, 26 says this, my flesh and my heart may fail. Do you understand your heart is going to fail? By itself, your heart's going to fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What's that saying? Is on your own, your heart's going to fail. But if you trust in the Lord, he's going to strengthen your heart and he will be our portion forever. Can I get an amen? Come on. All right, so let's continue to read what happens to King Asa. And if you read on, you realize, yes, it's not going to be easy. He's seeking God with all of his heart. Everything's going well. His kingdom is flourishing. People are coming to him. But then he's attacked, we read, by an army of Ethiopians of over a million people and 300 chariots, okay? An army of over a million people and 300 chariots come against King Asa. And if you remember, he does have his own army. It's over, just over 500,000. So if you're good at math, you realize that's about two to one, right? You have a million, a little over a half a million. And if you're thinking, hey, that's pretty good. You know, two to one, I might take those odds. And if you're inclined to believe that way, let me ask you another question. If I put you on a hill and said, and showed you an army of a million people, and I showed you an army of half a million people, I said, okay, choose which side you want to be on. I think most of us are going to choose the side with a million people, right? Uh, because, our, you know, numbers don't always win the war, but they certainly help. But this is what King Asa does. This is so powerful. So, so powerful. In verse 10, it says, So Asa deployed his armies for battle in the valley north of Mereshah. That's very important, okay? Asa deployed his armies for battle. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. Does that sound like a man who is just passionate about needing the Lord's help? He is not relying on his own strength, on his own might. He's crying out to God. He says, it is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you alone are God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. He cries out to the Lord. And in verse 12, it says, the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah and the enemy fled. If you continue reading, you'll see that they take a tremendous amount of plunder from this uh, army, right? Because they just flee, they can take it, that will get important in a second. But there's a few other things I want to point out. The first one is this, Asa deployed his troops, but he called out for God for the victory, right? And I want to speak to someone, in my experience, why would Asa deploy his troops, okay? In my experience, he's taking the practical steps necessary to see a victory, but he's believing in God for the miracle, Okay? He knew his miracle was coming. He just didn't know where it was going to come from. So he still deployed his troops. And just in my experience, this is what I've seen. I've seen people like, man, 
they face a battle in life and like, I'm just struggling with our debt. Our debt is just like unbelievable. And so they're praying. They say, God, I need a miracle. And then they'll get some godly uh, counsel, godly advice, and they'll say, okay, well, maybe, maybe you could sell your 14-bedroom house and get an apartment because there's just one of you. And uh, maybe that would, that's a good idea. And maybe you can sell your brand new car and get a used car or something. And they're just like, no. No, no, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to take those practical steps. I just need God to show up in a a miraculous way, right? And here's the deal. I've had it happen both ways to me before. I remember when Adrian and I, we were so poor. I mean, we were married and going to college, working a job. Like, we were were poorer than poor. We were po. I mean, we were just, like, so po that I was just like, I remember one time specifically, we forgot that we needed to buy uh, parking pass, uh, passes for KU because we lived in the marriage dorms there. And I was like, 250 bucks or something like that. I'm like, God, we don't have this. What are we going to do? Literally the next day, uh, a check came in the mail from someone, and it was like for us, and it was for the exact amount we needed. And I was like, God, wow, thank you. And then literally uh, a few weeks later or, you know, whenever it was, I, I remember times where we were short on money and I was just caught crying out to God. I'd get a phone call and someone said, hey, you know, I need some extra work done this Saturday. Are you interested? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And God provides that way. And hear me, church, both of those are miracles. And the miracle can come in the check in the mail, but come on, a miracle can come when we just come to him and just say, like, hey, I'll, I'll deploy my troops. I'll take all the practical steps I need to take, but I'm going to believe in you for the miracle, God. And God will always honor and will always bless that, okay? All right, finally, uh, truth number three. We must learn to keep our passion in the right place. We must learn to keep our passion in the right place. So let's continue to read what happened to uh, Asa, okay? This is 2 Chronicles 15, 1 through 4. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, and he went out to meet the king Asa as he was returning from battle, okay? This is from his big victory. He says, listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you will find him. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God, without a priest to teach them, and without the law to instruct them. But whenever they were in trouble and turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him out, they found him. The Bible says Asa is very encouraged by this message. If you go down to verse 11, it says, On that day they sacrificed 700 cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had taken in battle. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. So important, listen to this, okay? They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all of their heart and soul. With all of their heart and soul. They agreed that anyone who refused to seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They shouted out their oath of loyalty to the Lord with trumpets blaring and ram's horns sounding. Come on, is that like a scene out of Braveheart or not? Like, that is passion, right? And all in Judah were happy about this covenant. Why? For they had entered into it with all of their heart. I'm telling you guys, the heart is so important. The heart is so important. They earnestly sought after God, and they found him, and the Lord gave them rest from their enemies. A few things I want to point out here, okay? The first one is this. They entered into a covenant with the Lord, not a contract. Do you guys realize there's a difference? A contract is like a partnership. It's 50-50. It's saying, hey, I'll put in my 50%, if you put in your 50%, together we'll make a whole, right? That's how a lot of us will approach marriages. You say, hey, you do your part, I'll do my part. But that's not even what marriage is. And it's certainly not what God calls us to have with him. 
He calls us to have a covenant with him, which is like saying, I'm 100% in, regardless if it's reciprocated or not. I'm going to give you everything I have. And here's the deal, guys. We, we're the ones who break the covenant. Jesus didn't even, he didn't even uh, worry about giving up his own son. He gave his own son to keep the covenant for us, right? He's not the one who breaks it. We're the one who breaks it. But thank you, Lord, that you did send your son. Because even when we mess up, we can come to him again and again. But so very important. They entered into a covenant, not a contract with the Lord. Second thing I just find so interesting, they said all were happy because they had entered into this covenant with all their heart. And I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but someone in here believes a lie that if you seek after God with all of your heart, you're going to give up happiness or joy in your life. You're like, oh man, that means I'm never be able to get to go to another party, and my college years are going to be ruined, and my 30s are going to be ruined, my 50s, I, I, oh, I don't want to do that because I'm just going to, I'm literally giving up all of this happiness if I'm going to do things for the Lord. I'm just going to become this boring old Christian or something. I'm telling you, that is like the biggest lie from Satan I've ever heard before, right? The, I believe that the only way you can really have happiness, the only way you can have everlasting joy, is by having this type of relationship with the Lord where you're all in, 100%. And you're saying, God, I'm not going to withhold anything from you. I'm available. Just use me, right? This is the type of covenant God wants to have with us. And I love to say, you know, I love to end my message right here. And I love to say, like, and King Asa lived happily ever after, and his descendants were, like, ruled the land with an iron fist and justice or something, right? But that's just not how the story ends. But I want to share you through what happens. Second Chronicles 16, verses 1 through 3 says this. In the 36th year of King Asa's reign, King Bashar of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Okay? Doesn't tell us why the king of Israel does this, but I have the suspicion that he was becoming very jealous of King Asa and how much he, the Lord was blessing him. Right? Actually, if you read, you'll see that people started leaving Israel and living in Jerusalem and Judah, even if they weren't from the tribe of Judah, because they realized, wow, the Lord is really blessing King Asa. And so I'm just thinking, this king of Israel gets jealous, and he goes, no, 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 we cannot allow, we cannot allow people to leave. And so he starts attacking Judah and, and, and messing with them and not letting people travel back and forth freely. So what does Asa do? This is so crazy. Verse 2, Asa responded by removing the silver and gold from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. Think about it. This would have been the same gold, a lot of the plunder that they would have taken from that vast Ethiopian army, right? The very treasure that should have stood as a, a symbol of God's victory and God's faithfulness in his life, he takes it all and gives it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, okay, who was ruling in Damascus along with this message, says, let there be a treaty between you and me, like the one between your father and my father, which, by the way, if you read a few chapters before, God wasn't happy about. So he sends us all this money, all those things that should have stand as a testimony of God's faithfulness. He sends it to a foreign king. says, see, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with King Bashar of Israel so that he will leave me alone. The king of Aram agrees to this and starts to attack Israel to help Judah. And let's look at what happens in verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to King Asa and told him, Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of the Lord your God, you have missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army and with all of their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord, and he handed them over to you. 
The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you will be at war. And I shared that verse with you guys last week, and in the context of last week, it was kind of like, yeah, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him, right? And in that moment, we're like, yeah, that's so good. But now you read it in context and you realize this is talking about a man, a king, who fully committed his life to the Lord at the beginning. He took control of his kingdom. He's like, I am all in on this. I'm giving all my passion, everything about it. But he forgot point number three, right? He didn't keep his passion and, and his heart in the right place. And because of that, he really made a mistake here. And the, and the, but the word of God doesn't return void. Literally, in that moment, the Lord searched the entire earth looking for someone whose hearts was fully committed to him, and he did not see Asa's heart committed to him. So after this prophet comes against Asa and tells him, hey, now you're going to be at war, Asa becomes furious with this prophet. He throws him in jail and even starts oppressing his own people. And this is how King Asa's life comes to an end. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of this disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. He was buried in the tomb he carved out for himself in the city of David. He was laid on a bed, perfumed with sweet spices and fragrant ointments, and the people built a huge funeral fire to honor him. So here's the final truth bomb I want to leave with you guys today. <laughs> Our hearts are extremely wicked. Our hearts are so evil. In fact, look at what Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Think about that. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. What is this verse saying? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. It's actually so wicked, you and I don't even understand how bad the human heart really is. And that's saying something because who knows, who's just disgusted with some of the things that you see going on in the world today, right? I mean, it's like, I, I have a pretty good understanding of how bad the human heart is, and God's like, you don't, you don't even get the half of it, Micah. You, you, you got a little bit. You have a little understanding of how evil the human heart is, but you don't really understand. So you're probably thinking, well, why in the world are you, if you have two Sundays to preach, Micah, why are you spending so much time? If the heart is so wicked, why are you talking about the heart so much? And this is why. The truth is the heart truly is extremely wicked. But the truth is the heart is also extremely powerful and passionate. And left unchecked, that passion, that power, fueling a wicked heart will only lead to your demise. But we know someone who can restore and renew our hearts. And when we do that, he can take that godly passion, he can take that godly power, fuel our lives, and we will, could, we will never be the same when that happens. And I know right here, the band's up here, so you're thinking, all right, we're about to say the sinner's prayer, but we're not gonna do that right now. We left time at the end, and we wanna take this moment, and we wanna introduce to you a new song we've never sung here before. The song is called Available. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, 
eh, that's a pretty good song, but honestly, I think I described it as like a bedtime melody, like, oh, I might sing this to my kids before they go to bed. The second time I heard the song was live at youth group two weeks ago, and I saw kids, amazing students, spread out here crying out to God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and the song is pretty darn simple. It's just saying, I'm available, God. Whatever you want to use me, whatever you want to do, do I, I'm all in on this. And my favorite line is this in the bridge. It says, here I am, here I am. You can have it all. You can have it all. And that's the cry of our hearts today. And I pray that if you're in a place today that you just feel like you've lost your passion, Right? You started off like King Asa, and you're like, man, I started my walk with God, and I was so passionate, and I would give up my time, I'd give up my energy, I'd give up my money, because honestly, I knew what I found was so much greater than all those things. And you can even go back to your life and find moments and victories and battles that the Lord won over your life, and you're like, see, God is so faithful, God is so faithful, but for whatever reason, you're in a new season of life, and you're just not feeling like God is who he was. And maybe you've even tried to fix that problem on your own strength like King Asa has. Come on, I believe with all of my heart that in that moment, with that foot disease, if Asa would have cried out to the Lord, the Lord would have heard him. And you know why I believe that? Because that's what we've been talking about the last two Sundays. We can seek the Lord with all of our heart and he will be found. So church, can I have you stand to your feet? Worship team, you can get ready to lead us here. And if you feel like you've lost your passion, I'm just encouraging you. Sing this song from this new perspective, just saying, make it your heart cry. Say, God, here I am. You can have it all. Take everything. I don't want to do my, my way anymore. I don't want to do, serve you my way. I don't want to serve other gods. I want to serve you, and I want to do everything that you've called me to do. Let's worship from this new perspective this morning.